G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to talk about the rise of new technology. Of course, lots of benefits in the rise of new technology, more efficiencies in the way of doing things. Students can learn on a global scale without even leaving the classroom and often not even leaving home. There's agricultural processes automated, cost efficiencies for business, medical discoveries that are increasing at a rapid rate. We are encouraged to embrace the digital age. But there are concerns about a moral and spiritual crisis. How do we find that balance for ourselves and for our families? How can we navigate the amazing benefits and use them to our advantage without coming undone? Talking nationally, talking personally, talking our families. Well, our special guest through this coming hour, author and speaker Brad Huddleston, is back with us. Brad's the author of the book called Digital Cocaine, A Journey Toward Eye Balance. Another one of his books is called The Dark Side of Technology, Restoring Balance in the Digital Age. And Brad is joining us for a conversation that you can join into, 1-800-316-316. A special welcome to you, Brad Huddleston. Hey, Neil, it is always so good to be with you. Last time I was with you, I was right in the studio. It wasn't that that long ago, but I'm back in America, and it's it's really good to be with you again. So you're back in your hillbilly home base, and that's what I think of now. When uh, Whenever I think of Brad Huddleston, I'm thinking, <laughs> so describe, just what's the name of uh, the city that you live in? The little place that I live in is called Stewart's Draft, and uh, it's nestled right in the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, near where John Boy Walton lived. If you ever saw the old television show called The Waltons, it's autumn or fall here. The the beautiful Appalachian Mountains are turning all these vibrant colors now, and uh, the weather's starting to cool off, and uh, a lot of people will be looking forward to skiing soon uh, as the snow will begin on these mountaintops. So, gorgeous here and then in a couple of weeks i'll be back in the southern hemisphere summer of south africa so uh, but it's gorgeous here neil it's gorgeous in australia as well i know there are some significant reasons for your visit to south africa that's coming up and we'll talk about that a little bit later in our conversation brad as we're getting this conversation today underway uh, and talking about the rise of technology I mean, technology has lots of uh, aspects to its definition, and really we'll be talking about the rise of digital technology, which seems to be growing and growing and growing at a huge rate every year. Uh, The rise of technology, it is a good thing, isn't it? Well, it can be, Neil. Uh, I have a degree in computer science. It certainly has served me well. Uh, But, of course, a lot of the negatives have, have outweighed it. Some of the things that are coming down the... The pike, we, we've heard about it, we've been talking about it, but it continues to advance. We're talking about virtual reality, and the big names there would be Oculus, Oculus Rift. Samsung is, is into that, and Microsoft is into that. Their version of that is actually what is called augmented reality. These are goggles where you overlay 
um, the digital world over top of the real world. So in virtual reality, you're totally encased with goggles into a virtual world. With augmented reality, you put goggles on. You see the real world, but then overlaid with that would be virtual content. And it actually looks like that augmented reality is going to win out. So it continues to develop, and of course, the big talk is artificial intelligence and Elon Musk. Uh, A lot of real concerns there, but a lot of exciting things, too, particularly in the areas of language and uh, being able to translate languages in real time as people want to communicate across uh, the continents. You can certainly see how that's going to be very, very helpful as they're working with the computers right now. But, of course, there's a downside to all of this as well. Well, Brad, when we talk, uh, we are talking in usually a more defined way about the technology. And uh, let's not be so defined that we only talk about one aspect, because obviously the rise of technology and digital technology for business is huge. And then when we talk about this uh, augmented uh, reality and uh, those sorts of things, sometimes we're, uh, a lot of people will be thinking along the lines of entertainment, what's happening in the entertainment world with uh, all of this rise of technology. And then we uh, can talk about this other dimension, which is how we as humans handle this rise. Uh, God created us. He created our brains. Uh, We're very adjustable. We're very flexible, but there are some risks in going forward uh, and understanding the way that that this technology affects us. This is one area of your real specialty, isn't it, Brad? Yeah, it sure is, Neil, and for whatever reason, the Lord has has called me to that and opened some incredible doors uh, with you guys as well. You know, you mentioned there's some some good things, too. There's an ad, an an advertisement for Microsoft's HoloLens goggles that's very useful, for example. Um, There's uh, You put the goggles on, and and they they show this scenario where uh, someone purchased, in one country, purchased a sink. I think it was a, a kitchen sink or a bathroom sink. And they didn't know how to install it properly. So the person, I think it was in Italy, put their goggles on where the actual device was made. The person in America put their goggles on. And virtually, the person who invented the sink was able to step into America in real time and point and give instructions to the person on how to install the sink. So you can see how, and same thing with car repair. They had one for a car repair where the mechanic in another country was able to virtually appear and walk the mechanic in the other country through the repairs. So you can see that it's going to be tremendous. Unfortunately, though, uh, two things I would say. There's a downside in that the brain has limits as to how much of the digital technology that we can uh, absorb without it stressing the brain and creating a lot of chemical and neural reactions where you end up with various psychoses and chemical changes. So my area is trying to figure out with other people where those limits are based on age groups so that we work with technology because it is a great thing, but we stay within the limits of the brain. What has happened is technology has hit us like a tsunami. There has been no regulation. There's been no prior brain research until very recently. And so clearly we've overdone it. ADHD, for example, is up 800%. Depression is up 70%, and much of that caused directly by overstimulation through technology. So the goal here is not to get rid of it, it's to balance it, hence the uh, subtitles of both of those books where I use and made up a word called eye balance. Uh, I'm not sure I made it up. I made it up. Other people may have thought of the same thing, but I actually came up with that 
because balance is the goal here. And balance, by definition, is working within the limits of the brain before the damage begins. Okay. Now, what you're describing uh, is so significant because I know that when I have a plumbing problem uh, or if I need to do a repair on the car, I just go to a YouTube clip at the moment. You're talking about a uh, the latest developments in technology with goggles and things that you put on, and uh, those things are amazing. But with these new developments, there are some stresses on the brain and while we're talking about plumbing being quite a, uh, you know, sort of a neutral, normal thing that people might do in installing a sink, uh, the other things that put stresses on our brain uh, morally are obviously uh, to do with uh, developments when it comes to some of the violence, uh, some of the sexually charged uh, material uh, that we might view or as would be the case with these sorts of goggles and things uh, participate in these are the areas that we start to uh, have the moral crisis in and this is an area that you certainly do uh, have a lot to say in Brad yeah it, particularly what we do know Neil and, and a lot of research still needs to be done particularly as artificial intelligence the HoloLens goggles or the artificial intelligence and the virtual reality goggles are released. All of those um, need to need a lot of brain research, which requires a lot of money, and that hasn't happened. But what we do know with the current technology, particularly with pornography, which the number one uh, source of acquisition will be through mobile phones now, we do know that the brain forms little physiological ruts. They're called porn ruts. And it causes people to stay into a state of sexual heightened awareness. And so basically it's a little bit more complex than this, but when a man, if he is addicted to porn, for example, if he is heterosexual, he looks at a female, her image will go into those porn ruts because of all the pornography that he's been looking to, and he will not be able to look at her in her native beauty and purity. We know that from, from neuroscience that that takes place, and so we, in Christian circles we call it lust. He will lust. And so, yeah, the moral degradation, you know, is, is incredible because of the same statistics that we find in the secular realm regarding pornography, uh, you would think that the church would be less, but unfortunately it is not. And, of course, technology is what's opened the floodgates for pornography. It used to be, as we've discussed here before, uh, you'd have to go somewhere uh, – and, and buy a magazine, and it was embarrassing, and it had a little brown wrapper on it, and you'd, you'd have to really be careful, or you would find your dad's magazines or something, and that was just not nearly as frequent as it is now. Well, now, in the privacy of a bedroom, uh, you can find whatever you want. So physiologically, neurologically, it's having an effect, and of course, that obviously bleeds over into spiritual problems, and it causes separation between us and God, and then the guilt and the shame that that drives us to do it even more because we, we have become hopeless. And so that's the, the negative side of what technology has opened. And if we could, the frustrating thing is we see the positives of technology if we could discipline ourselves. After all, we are disciples. If we could discipline ourselves, Neil, the technology for evangelism, for discipleship is incredible. But when you look at the numbers, people are spending far more time on the entertainment side, much of which is lasciviousness and all the other debauchery and those sorts of things are spending way more time on those things than, say, BibleGateway.com. And so that's the big worry. It's not that the technology can't be good, or, or it is good, or it can be good, I should say, but 
if you look at the where people are spending their time, it is not on the good, it's on the bad. And of course, uh, when we uh, allow ourselves uh, the uh, way that uh, you can become involved in some of the dark sides of the technology, there's all sorts of changes to the way we relate to one another. So uh, normal human relations are in crisis as a result of the way that this dark side of the technology tends to shape us. Uh, but then, as as you say, it's the spiritual side as well, because when we're Christian believers, when we're aware of a relationship with God, uh, when there are things that come and distract us or get in the way of that or even distort uh, the reality of that relationship, then we are in equally not only a relational crisis one to another, but this spiritual crisis with our relationship to God. Neil, the Japanese, you talk about relationship, they are on the forefront of developing robots, sexual robots, and they have spent an enormous amount of money on skin texture to match human texture, genitalia, uh, emotional response with mechanics on the inside. You can basically order a custom sexual partner now uh, based on what your preferences are in terms of a sex partner. And some of the people who are writing about this and studying it saying, are saying that within 50 years it will just be common that everyone will have a sex doll or a robot uh, in their home, and it'll just become a cultural norm. I don't know if that prediction will come true, but uh, in looking at some of the research and what they are developing, I'll tell you it is very scary of how lifelike and real that they have made these dolls. Now you can imagine what that's going to do to marriages. It, it when, when uh, instead of a couple working through and sorting through their issues of, of sexuality, well, they can just turn to whatever their preference is and be relieved, and then they don't work on the more important things. And of course, that's a spiritual issue because the metaphor of us being the bride of Christ, uh, God wants us to work through these issues so that we're conformed more into His image. Well, having a, a sex partner in the form of a robot that's very lifelike and speaks to you and reacts to you based on your emotions because artificial intelligence will allow that robot to learn what you are like and then that robot will start to meet your needs. Well, the human factor is going to be, in terms of a spousal relationship, will be almost, if not completely, removed and people, the fear is people are going to say, well, why get married to begin with? Um, we'll just have casual relationships and if that doesn't work out, we've always, we all always have the robot. So, it's a crazy, crazy world, and I know what I just said sounds really crazy, but there's a lot being written and studied about what I just mentioned. And so, yes, relationships are negatively affected. That's sort of an extreme, but just in day-to-day, -day, we, we do know that social media does not provide the same koinonia, uh, which is the Greek word for fellowship, the same emotional response, chemical response, as meeting face-to-face. -face. We know that neurologically. That's why we have things like Facebook depression. That's why we have things like um, the most isolated people in the world are people who spend the most time on social media. It just does not meet the same need as human face-to-face -face contact. And, of course, when you spend that much time, uh, you're, you're neglecting your relationship with God. We know that people are doing that as well, and so the relationship with God tends to be about as shallow uh, as their interhuman personal relationships as well. And Brad, this illustrates, doesn't it, uh, something of the essence of our conversation today in that in being able to navigate a way forward with all of these 
technological digital economy changes, uh, there is going to need to be a new divine wisdom to be able to approach the way that the technology is changing so rapidly because of the uh, issues for human relationships and spirituality. Uh, any uh, any hint uh, that we might have a way to begin to navigate this as Christian believers uh, for ourselves, for our families, for our communities? Well, you said a new divine, and I know exactly where you're coming from, Neil. I would say that the Scripture, which has been around for a long time, uh, which is not so new, still provides the answer. Um, We have to be sensitive to God's Word, which means we have to be constantly saturating our spirits with that Word, which is going to require the bulk of our time, instead of being on social media and, and on the technological platforms. And then, of course, communing with the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit is our counselor, the Scripture says. He is the one who comes alongside of us. He's the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of us. But if we neglect him by not spending time, then we will not have that instant check in our heart when we go into technology and we start to go into areas that are dark. We go into areas we have no business going into. We're not sensitive to him. So I think God has already provided all that we need to navigate the Internet successfully. I think the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, has not gone anywhere. I think it's us who have checked out. And the Scripture, of course, tells us in Corinthians, Paul tells us to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing. And if we will do that, the Scripture says, God then will receive us. So these age-old, I mean, the assumption is we're going to have to grapple with technology, and we are. But I think the assumption is also with a lot of Christians is we have to embrace all of it and learn to navigate all of it, when the reality is, if it's evil, we simply reject it, come out from that, and we keep what is good. Sort of like the old adage, you eat the whole chicken and just spit out the bones. We just haven't been very good at spitting out the bones. So I would still say, Neil, the Scripture and a deep, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you're spending more time with that than you are with technology, and I didn't say never spend time with technology, but if you're top-heavy on the intimacy with God and His Word, I think you're going to be fine because you will simply know what is evil and what is not, and then the Holy Spirit will give you his deutimus or his power to simply shun the evil side of that. And then, of course, even what is good within technology, the brain still has limits, even though it might be BibleGateway.com or watching podcasts that are from a great church. We, the brain still has limits even on good things. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Brad Huddleston, our guest, talking about navigating the rise of digital technology. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Uh, let's take a call. Jason is in Victoria. Hello, Jason. Welcome along. G'day, Brad, and g'day, um, Neil. I'm a friend of yours on Facebook. Brad? Brad, are you there? I am, and I would like to say that... I agree with your sentiments, and I agree that the Holy Spirit is a counselor, and we need to, as St. Paul said in in Romans, avoid, uh, get rid of all evil and cling to all that is good. Good thoughts in there, Jason, and uh, there's good advice there, Brad, which is simple advice and yet profound. That's right. We don't shun cars, even though they can kill you. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, responsible use of a car would be a good illustration here, although 
technology is a, a lot more stressing on the brain. But yes, shun the evil and keep what is good. But you have to first know what evil is. And the way you learn what evil is is through spending time, a lot of time, studying God's Word uh, as opposed to spending the bulk of your time on other things such as social media or whatever else you might, sports or anything else you might be addicted to. So if you're going to be a Christian, be one, and then you'll know what evil is and you'll know what to shine. And then when it comes to technology, we'll know what to keep as well because there's a lot of great things to keep. In fact, I'm on a mobile phone talking to you right now. Think of the miracle of that. I can remember, Neil, we used to have to use landlines, uh, younger people listening to us, just so they'll know it's when the phone was connected to the wall by a, c- a cable. <laughs> uh, but we're all, I'm on a mobile phone, and the technology that we used to communicate back and forth, I have made commercials for Vision Radio in my studio here, transmitted the high-quality files through the Internet, and they've been broadcast and all happened in the same day. Great use of technology. we just got to keep that and show them the other things. And I note that Jason is studying online and uh, another one of those wonderful developments that's come with the digital uh, increase of technology. Jason, thank you so much for your insight today here on 2020. We are just a few minutes out from Vision National News. Let me just ask you quickly about the rise, the next big thing, uh, of course, artificial intelligence. We've just had Elon Musk in Australia and he's shared some concerns about artificial intelligence. You're familiar with uh, his concerns, aren't you, Brad? I sure am. Uh, you know, in reading one of the Washington Post uh, columns about this, uh, they, they I just want to quote this briefly and we can continue after the news. It's a scenario, it says, that's been outlined in countless science fiction, uh, science fiction films such as The Terminator, The Matrix, and iRobot, machines defying their programming, killing humans, and taking over the world. Now, that seems a bit far-fetched, but Elon Musk tends to agree with some of those and uh, some of those notions, and he, he's even proposing that we regulate it uh, right out of the gate. One of the headlines says Elon Musk says we need to regulate AI before it becomes a danger to humanity. So you want to delve into some of the areas that uh, – some of the reasons that he and Bill Gates feel that it's going to be a danger. Uh, we can certainly talk about that as well. Of course, when we talk about artificial intelligence, uh, of course, it starts with a basis which is human knowledge and understanding. And I imagine that artificial intelligence, uh, when it develops, uh, it develops its own thought or supposedly close to uh, the idea of morality and artificial intelligence is another big question. But uh, just in the next, uh, just have a very brief response on on the idea of morality and artificial intelligence from you, Brad. Well, again, that's more of a theological issue, and there's a lot of doubt as to whether or not a machine you know, has a soul, because it doesn't. But then there's biotechnology that is claimed that will allow the computers to think. Now, that's a little ways off. If a computer can truly think, and it's not just code responding, then we will have a problem. And that's where the fear with Elon Musk and Bill Gates comes in, where the computer will actually start to outthink humans and then act on its own, despite the programming that was initially put there. So that in a, in a, is the essence of what the concern is, which could delve, uh, bleed over into moral issues 
like killing humans. That's what the Terminator and all those movies are about. So how do we find a balance for ourselves and for our family? Is it, as we've been discussing, a matter of growing in relationship with God to navigate the way forward? Author and speaker Brad Huddleston is with us today. He's the author of the book called Digital Cocaine, A Journey Toward Eye Balance and the Dark Side of Technology, Restoring Balance in the Digital Age. Brad, let me come back to something that was discussed very, very briefly in our last segment before the news. Uh, We had a caller who is studying online. You've had some concerns about online learning and uh, discussing some of these in seminar situations. Uh, what uh, What is the risk or what are the downsides to the challenges of online learning? Well, if you look at some of the advertisements about it, you wouldn't think there are any. Uh, But as it turns out, one of the officials, uh, well, two academics asked me to contribute a chapter to a book. Now, all of this is secular, but the name of the book is called Ethics in Higher Learning. And the subject that they asked me to deal with as a result of Digital Cocaine, which is a Christian book, this is the miracle. The subject is the ethics of not contributing to digital addiction in an online learning environment. And I can imagine people are raising their eyebrows thinking, well, uh, online learning environment, how can that be dangerous? Earlier in the program, I mentioned we do know from neuroscience that the brain has limits. The other thing that I would contribute to that, and what I was contributing to in Toronto two weeks ago, I was speaking at the Global Conference on Online Learning. There's about 1,500 of us from around the world, and it was mainly people who design uh, the programs for online learning, the people who teach the classes, and the curricula uh, developers and some of the uh, software designers as well, uh, the programmers who, who design this. And so they had me speaking to them because the brain does not distinguish content. And what that means is people uh, used to think that, well, if I have to do it for work and I'm not doing anything immoral, I'm not playing video games, or if I'm doing something educational, if it's an education app or an education game, my brain is going to be fine. But certainly, I might have problems if I'm playing World of Warcraft or looking at pornography. But as it turns out, uh, there's this pesky little thing, Neil, called the truth. The truth is the brain is not distinguishing that content. It's not a moral agent sitting there saying, okay, I'll let you get by with this, but this I will uh, get you addicted and damage you with this. The brain is not doing that. The brain is simply responding to stimuli. Whatever it is your eyes are looking at the brain is uh, contributing to a large pool of dopamine. And dopamine is very, we enjoy dopamine, and you're supposed to, but at high quantities, uh, it becomes very stressful for the brain and extremely addictive. That's what you're actually getting addicted to. So the more screen time you have, the more the addiction sets in, and it doesn't matter what content. And so what I was addressing at the Global Conference on Online Learning in Toronto what I was The point I was making is with gamification, there was an entire tract about gamification, taking video game technology and making education. You, you can't assume that because you've made it education that the brain is not going to get addicted. It's going to get addicted at the exact same rate as non-education counterparts being games and apps and anything else that you're doing. So, again, it's not that we are advocating throwing it away. Online learning and the potential for that is tremendous. But we have to work within the limitations of the brain, which would mean how long we're doing it, how intensely multitasking and all those sorts of things have to be taken into consideration. So I was there as a result of writing a chapter in the book to give some guidance 
and some direction on uh, in helping students to manage all of this uh, because the attrition rate with online learning is quite high. In some cases, it's up to 70% of the students drop out. So it's not working as well, even though the potential is there, and they're, they're searching for reasons. I have a few theories of my own as to why the attrition rate is so high, but that's what the conference was, was addressing, and so they had me there talking about some of those issues. Brad, you raise an important question I know will be important for listeners and for families, and that is this question of how long, because if the how long question can be answered, then we may be able to adequately modify our our exposure to all of the online content to a point which is safe. Uh, is there a safe limit? What do you suggest for people when they say how long is, uh, you know, what sort of uh, response do you give when that's the question? Well, first of all, the answer to that question is very important, but it's a moving target. The reason it's a moving target is because technology, as we discussed earlier, continues to develop in its intensity at an exponential rate. I mean, we're talking about brain stimulation with goggles alone in a virtual world being off the charts. And there's no studies to tell us what the limits are, so it keeps moving. But generally speaking, there are some guidelines. Uh, I often refer to the Waldorf Steiner model, which is a group of schools around the world. I've spoken at one of them. Uh, In Silicon Valley, for example, I spoke to the one at one in Johannesburg, South Africa, but there's there's several in Silicon Valley – And those schools are full of kids whose parents work at Google, Apple, Yahoo, eBay, Amazon, all of those. And the reason those kids are in there is because that school does not allow technology until age 12. Notice I didn't say they never have technology. They wait until age 12, and they sign an agreement that they're going to have very little, if if any, in their homes. Now, why would tech executives and the employees send their kids there? Well, it's the brain science behind Waldorf Steiner model. And I don't agree with most of Waldorf Steiner's education model, but I do agree with the brain science. The reason they wait is because the creative side of the brain is in development between 0 and 11, and those tech executives don't want their children's brains getting messed up so those kids, are with, they, they withhold technology until they're 12, and then gradually they introduce technology. Notice I said gradually, because the brain is still in development, and it's very tender, it's underdeveloped, and so the overstimulation, they're aware that it does damage. So what we do know in an adult, it only takes one hour, and the adrenal system will get on overload from using technology, and an anhedonic barrier will start to go up in the brain. So an adult can handle one hour, and then damage starts. And so you have to then look at the ages younger than adults. It it goes down significantly in the amount of time that you can spend on it from there. That's what we do know. And again, more research needs to be and 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 it needs to be done. And the biggest thing, Neil, that I hear from people is, I disagree with that. And then I wait for the reason they disagree with that, and they don't have any neuroscience. It's just an emotional response. I think it's stress at the very thought of going without something that you're addicted to. So that's what I think about that issue. So those are the current models that we have and who's limiting it and at what ages, and it's not nearly as that line is a lot closer than most people think. 
Well, some important guidelines there for parents, particularly thinking about their children and this uh, new levels of digital technology, when you say that the tech executives themselves are so cautious that when they've got their children into particular uh, specialised schools, uh, limiting any involvement with the new levels of technology until age 12. So we're talking high school uh, age before uh, children are exposed and then only gradually introduced to that level of technology. And then uh, the other thing you say, Brad, adults uh, with one hour of exposure to uh, deeper levels of uh, digital technology uh, and then damage starts to occur. So if, if, you're, if you're talking about the sort of damage that happens, what sort of, how do you describe that damage uh, after, the, after the one hour of use of, this, uh, of just new technology? Well, that information comes from a book called Thrilled to Death by Dr. Archibald Hart, who's a scientist and a clinical psychologist. He subtitled that book, Thrilled to Death, How the Endless Pursuit of Pleasure is Leaving Us Numb. The book is about the medical condition called anhedonia, which is the damaging concern when you overdo it. Basically, the brain starts to build up resistance to the drug known as a screen, just like any other drug like cocaine. That's why I called the book Digital Cocaine. It actually came from brain scans of people who are addicted to cocaine and people who are addicted to screens. Those brain scans are, are almost identical because addiction is addiction. So what ends up happening, the damage is a wall of resistance that forms in the brain trying to defend itself from overdosing on that dopamine or the dopaminergic reaction of overdoing it with the screens. And so we don't like to be cut off from that pleasure, and so the resistance just continues to build. And addiction forms by us continuing to do the activity longer, harder, and more intensely to overcome the resistance that the brain or the body is building up. And so we find ourselves with our heads down, uh, for a long time. Now, the top symptom, those who get addicted to cigarettes, for example, would be breathing problems or emphysema. People who get addicted to alcohol, they would have liver problems. People who get addicted to screens, the top symptom would be anger. And that is often illustrated with children whose parents use the devices as babysitters. It works. It's the best babysitter ever invented until it comes time to take that device away. Meltdowns, uh, anger especially, Defiance uh, in, in gamers and anger is off the charts. The average age of a video gamer is 32. So, and, and, and those people who are 32 years of age have been gaming for 12 years. So it started when they were much an average of 12 years. For some of them, it started much earlier than that. So that is what the damage is. It's the resistance that is building up in the brain, and we fight that resistance, and we keep pushing it. And what happens? The pleasure center of the brain goes numb. And you start to lose feeling toward people, toward natural things. And the only thing you want to do is saturate yourself in the digital world. And that numbing of the pleasure center is the damage. The medical term for that is anhedonia. And is this a reversible addiction? Uh, what do you do to, uh, to confront that and to turn it around, Brad? I often illustrate this with kids. I will take uh, a microphone and say, please pretend this is a hammer. And then I'll hold my thumb up and I'll start to bash my thumb with that makeshift hammer. And I will say to the children and to the adults who are in the room, I'll say, if I want the pain to stop in my thumb, what must I do? And I've had children have panic attacks 
and I've had to comfort them and hold them for about 10 minutes until those chemicals that were released are dissipated from their brain because for the first time they have actually thought of what it would be like. They lived vicariously through that and have actually pondered what it would be like to go without a video game forever and they have a panic attack, a real honest panic attack or a detox effect. So, Neil, you have to stop doing what is causing the problem. Um, I often say Grandma got this right without any degrees whatsoever. Um, Our moms and grandmas are very intuitive. They know when we're overdoing it. So what happens in in South Korea, for example, they have 400 digital detox rehabilitation centers, and the first thing they do is confiscate the drugs, the screens, and and it takes about six weeks without any screen time, including television, for a hyper-stimulated prefrontal cortex to reset. And when I say that to some people, they they have panic and say, no way. But I have to say, you know, the good news is if you will do that, the brain will reset, much like if you accidentally cut yourself. If you'll just clean that wound and basically leave it alone, it'll heal, and in a few weeks you'll never even know you cut yourself. Well, the brain is resilient as well to a point. If you'll just put it in a healthy environment and not give it any drugs, you'll come out of it. But the longer you go, the more danger you you stand or chance that you stand of, of creating more permanent-like damage. But, yes, it is reversible. But you have to completely detox, 100% detox, and then you come back to technology and work within the limits of the brain. Notice I said you can come back to it, but you have to stay within those limits that I've been talking about since the beginning of the program. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Brad Huddleston on the line with us from the United States this morning and talking through a very important topic, the rise of technology. And we're talking about some of the downsides, but importantly, how to approach those. Brad, you're about to head off to South Africa in the next couple of weeks. Uh, What are you doing in South Africa? Some new research uh, developments when it comes to uh, the neuroscience department there. You work with a university in South Africa. Uh, What are the things you're working on? Well, yeah, I'm very honored, Neil. Uh, They've asked me to enter enter into an ongoing collaboration with their Bureau of Market Research and its neuroscience division. And so I'm on uh, a research team, two research teams, uh, starting next week. Uh, Well, actually, uh, we leave next week, but then it'll be toward the end of the month. Uh, we're going to be looking at two issues. We're going, we're going to be looking at the, what is called the blesser phenomenon, which has taken South Africa by storm. This is where young people have older people who bless them um, with gifts, shopping sprees, and things like that in exchange for sexual favors. And uh, it is epidemic. And so you have older men uh, looking for younger w- girls and, and boys, and then you have older women who are, who are also looking for younger boys and girls, and they, again, bless them. That's called the blesser phenomena. So we're going to be uh, going out and researching that and trying to quantify and, and, and see how it's affecting them. And then in the lab, we're going to be bringing, uh, working with a clinical psychologist to bring uh, porn-addicted young people in, and we're going to be doing EEGs, um, these are electroencephalograms on their brains um, to try to, to measure and determine some of the emotional damage it's doing to them or seeing how it's affecting them. We know it's damaging and to try to get some measures of that. And my desire with that would be to get a baseline of someone who hasn't seen pornography, uh, if we can find someone who hasn't. And that way, as you start to work with 
people who are addicted and you start to wean them and you get them off and you, you can then measure to see if you're making progress. That would be my desire in part, but I don't know. We don't know how it's going to go. We're just going to have to get in the lab and, and let the data speak for itself. So that's what's happening. I would ask prayer in that and, um, just extremely honored that they've asked me to be part of this. So I've been with this collaboration now for a little over a year and uh, getting more and more involved. And the University of South Africa has really taken the lead in some of this. And uh, it's, it's good It's good, and it's very encouraging because their heart, even though the University of South Africa is not a Christian university, there are Christians there, but they have a real heart to help people. And it's not just academic. It is that. It's very academic. But they want to help people. And as a minister, that thrills me. Brad, do you know what sort of research is going on in other parts of the world? I mean, you're headed off to South Africa. But is this type of research being undertaken by universities around the world? Or is it something that is still in development stage? Or are people ignoring it, thinking that there is no problem here? For the most part, it's being ignored, but there is research being done. There's being there's research being done here in America at Northwest University, Northwestern, and MIT and Stanford. They're looking into this, and at Northwestern, for example, there's uh, fascinating uh, studies going on there. One of the professors uh, has shown a dopaminergic reaction, which, as you can see on, on fMRI brain scans of people who are addicted to pornography, for example, uh, you can see the dopamine right on top of the nucleus accumbens of the pleasure center, and then they put someone in, in the fMRI, and they, for example, tell them um, they're just going to show them pornography, but they don't, and the same reaction happens, and they're measuring anticipation where the images that are already resident in the brain uh, can trigger the very same thing. Of course, we all know, those of us who have seen pornography, you know how those images can be very difficult to deal with. So, and, and I'm not innocent, and I'm innocent currently, Neil, and it's been years uh, since I've looked at any pornography, but that doesn't mean that I don't need God's power to keep off of it. I could, I could fall tonight, uh, but I have accountability and, and all of that. So, yes, there is some research being done, a lot being written about it, but, but <laughs> we've tried to find other people who are going out and speaking about it like I do, and I, we haven't found anyone yet. A lot of people doing cyber safety talks, but to actually start talking about these severe limits, not too many people talking about it. More and more research coming out about it, though. People are writing about it. So it's encouraging, but there's a lot more needs to be done. Well, Brad, if I was being complimentary to you and honouring you, you do have a very unique way of being able to articulate all of these issues, and uh, we're just thrilled and very honoured to be able to have you as part of uh, a regular lineup in that sense of uh, having you on as a semi-regular guest and talking through these issues because they are so, so important uh, for the Christian community to be able to appreciate uh, the upsides and the downsides of technology and uh, your insights and the way you articulate these things is just outstanding. And so I do certainly honour you and uh, thank you so much uh, for your humility and uh, your availability to be able to talk to us here in Australia. I will point people to those uh, couple of books, but there are lots more uh, products and resources that you have for people. But Digital Cocaine, the book we've been talking about, A Journey Toward Eye Balance, The Dark Side of Technology, Restoring Balance in the Digital Age. Of course, uh, we have in earlier times talked about the DVD series called Pornea. 
And uh, those are available through the Vision store. Simply go to vision.org.au. You can access some of those. You did mention a number of books too through our conversation. Uh, You mentioned one called Thrilled to Death. Uh, Now, that was uh, a book written by... uh, Anderson? Dr. Archibald Hart. Uh, Archibald Hart. And uh, so uh, there right. are some resources there for listeners to to get a hold of to, uh, to gain some understanding. And no doubt uh, there is room there in every church for someone to uh, pick up this idea of understanding uh, what these developments in this digital age might mean for uh, families and for the church and for the broader community. And, uh, Brad, you just shed some wonderful light. So thank you so much for taking some time to be with us and uh, our guest today on 2020. Well, Neil, I describe my relationship with Vision as, as uh, being welcomed as part of your family. And uh, I love you guys to bits, and it's an honor to call you my friend. And I appreciate Australia. We've been coming there since the year 2000, and it's our second home. So we love everyone there as well. And, Neil, we look forward to talking to you next time. And I know you'll be here in April, May, June next year, and uh, looking forward to a catch-up uh, face-to-face in the studio when you're here. Thanks so much, Brad. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.